This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Brent on from Emborder. We're talking a little bit about how Emborder's uh, $32 million Series B will reshape HR's engagement with employees through people activation. Uh, Brent's been a guest on the show before, and uh, I love him and his company, which is uh, rare, uh, I would tell you. Uh, and so I'm really happy. I'm really happy when good things happen to good people, because oftentimes that's not the case. Uh, $32 million is a lot of money. And Series B, is it's never easy. And uh, I'm sure Brent uh, could tell us a little bit about that. But uh, Brent, do us a favor for those that uh, aren't familiar with you or, or in border for whatever reason, uh, introduce yourself and in border. Well, thanks, William. Um, sure. Thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, for, for those who don't know um, in border or myself, I've spent most of my career in HR technology, working for companies in the US and uh, in Australia. Um, I started in border in 2015 and we began life I'm focusing on an experience-driven onboarding. So we believe that um, you only get one chance to make a great first impression. And uh, and that's usually not about how do you do your paperwork and your I-9 and your W-4, you know, neatly. It's about how do you really welcome somebody when they join your organization? And that was the, the birth of Emborder. And um, yes, yeah, since then, we've been taking that same platform and really just broadening it out to, um, to help HR deliver um, a wider set of employee experiences. Love that. I love the phrase uh, "people activation" because yeah. we activate software, we activate you know other parts of our lives, right? We we activate. Yeah. I activated my Fitbit, so we activate things. We think of it like that, but I I don't, I don't know if I've heard of other folks talk of people activation before in the way that y'all talk about it. Could you uh, expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, definitely. And um, and so this is this is actually a phrase that we sort of um, termed um, last year, sort of in the midst of the COVID pandemic. Um, we were doing some research with um, with our employee base or employer base and customer base, and um, we were really trying to understand what are their challenges and things like that. And we heard a few um, strong themes came come out of this. Number one. Um, people were feeling overwhelmed. You know, they're getting more information through more channels than ever before. Um, secondly, uh, collaboration was obviously becoming a, a more important deal um, with the separation that we got from remote working. And the third is uh, the third sort of strong theme that we heard was that um, HR were feeling like they weren't getting cut through with their programs, right? So they were there were programs that they were trying to drive, but they just you know either um, the employee base wasn't reading their communications or they, they just couldn't get traction in their programs. And, um, and so when we started thinking about that, we looked at the way our customers were using our platform. We realized that um, 
a lot of our customers were using our technology beyond onboarding and they were using it to solve those specific challenges. They were using um, our, our, our platform as a kind of communication or activation program platform for um, for whatever whatever it is that they're trying to drive. You know, is it is it diversity and inclusion programs? Is it around leadership development? Is it around, you know, uh, creating a better um, management of their remote their remote teams? And um, so that's really where where we coined the phrase people activation. I love it. I love it when customers take the product in a yeah. direction that maybe you hadn't intended or yeah. maybe you'd thought about it. Maybe it was even on the roadmap, but they decide, you know, like yeah. they then say, no, we need this elsewhere. We, we love what you're doing in onboarding. You fix something that was traditionally broken for us. And now yeah. we'd like to use it over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, to be honest, that's how that's how Emboarder was born. The idea it was born. Um, I actually had a totally different idea, which I um, for starting a business. And I took that out to my HR network, and I kind of showed them the prototypes and pitched them, and they kind of went, "Yeah, Brent, it's okay," but and they sort of gave me all the reasons why they didn't think it was going to be successful. But they very much guided me into the whole area of. Um, onboarding and the challenges that they were facing and and then yeah as we came up with the original um, product idea it has been our customers that have started showing us hey Brent look at look at what we've done with the platform and you know is there anyone else that's using this in this way and um, now I love it I love being being led by the customer rather than us sort of um, you know trying to dictate or force the customer well, what do we get right and wrong about onboarding in this reality now dealing with the pandemic two years in um, how has onboarding changed for your customers and, and just in you know in general you know when you look at onboarding pre-covid and you look at onboarding now there's probably kind of a there's probably a kit you know things that you needed to do then and maybe the kid has changed yeah uh, so so to get take us into the world of onboarding as as you see it today with your customers yeah and, and it's interesting and i think it's evolved a little bit so um, and especially in the u.s market the u.s market is a bit different to some of the other markets but when i started the company um i remember some of my earliest trips over to the u.s and i'd talk about sort of experience driven onboarding and, and they kind of look at me a little bit like i had two heads and and the reason is is because there were a lot of fundamental challenges that people were facing around onboarding. Like, you know, how do I get the right paperwork done by the new employees, making sure I've got their computer on their desk, making sure that, you know, they're in the right IT groups and communities and things like that. And so it's what I call, sort of call the, the health and hygiene aspects of, of onboarding. And the reason why I think that was such a challenge is because, you um, uh, a, a lot of the, a lot of just the basic uh, HR systems weren't doing that very well. So it's almost like they couldn't even get start thinking about the employee experience when they couldn't even get the basics done. So they had to go through and get the basics fixed first, which I think largely um, a lot of companies have got that um, you know done. Then they started, the more progressive companies started thinking about the employee experience and they started realizing that, you know, okay, paperwork's great, but no, no one goes home at the end of their first day and says, hey, honey, my, my first day at, at work was amazing. My I-9 was so slick and my W-4, it was fantastic. 
It's about the, 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 the connections and it's about how prepared their manager is and how organised. And it's about all of these things that, that used to be sort of thought as more intangible. That's actually what's the most important thing about whether someone has a great experience. So we started, so the, the world started moving into thinking about, about um, new employee experiences before COVID hit. Now, once COVID hit, then that throws a, a real spanner in the works because now the onboarding is happening remotely and it's out of sight out of mind. And again, the first reaction is, oh my God, how do I get their laptop delivered to their home? And how do I get that set up? And we sort of went through this immediate knee-jerk reaction around logistics. But I think what people then realized is actually the bigger challenge is connections with people, the connections with their team, the connections with their buddy, the social connections, the learning connections that they need to actually now grow. You know, it's one thing when you're in an office and you can look around desks and you can just reach over and ask someone, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? But people feel really reluctant to do that when you've got to do it via Slack or via email or Teams or something like that. So, so that, that was kind of the next phase um, in how onboarding changed and, and experiences changed with COVID. And now I think we're into another phase again, which is which is sort of being driven by the whole great resignation thing, you know. Now, all of a sudden, people are resigning um, pretty quickly and they're, they're rethinking what's important to them and they're rethinking about what sort of employer they really want to work for and they're rethinking about their work-life balance or their, their balance between working remotely and, and in the office or, or those types of things. And, yeah, if, if they don't like the answers they're getting from their current employer, well, they're resigning because it's a pretty tight labour market out there and they know that they can get another job pretty quickly, probably with an employer that's more aligned with um, what they're looking for. You and I have been in this industry long enough to know that onboarding was kind of the line of demarcation between talent acquisition and HR. So talent yeah. acquisition would roll up to, you know, the offer letter, offer letter signed. Now, they, they're, <clears throat> now they're officially passed over to HR. Yeah. HR has them. Uh, and they might or might not have insight into all the things that have happened <laughs> up until that yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as you've been going through this whole entire process, uh, who owns onboarding? Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, so I was actually going to challenge you on, on your um, statement because as you when, should. You sort of, when you say onboarding is almost like the demarcation between TA and, and HR, it kind of implies that you've got this line in the sand and yeah. two pieces that butt up against the line. Right. But you're absolutely right. It's it's not like that. So, so you know, when an office letter signed, that may be the handoff between TA, but then often it's being handed off into this grey murkiness That's where right. no one owns it. And <laughs> Quick I, used to, yeah. I, I still often will, um, if I'm, especially in the days when we used to do sort of in-person presentations, I used to love being in a room full of, um, you know, HR stakeholders. And you could, and just after you do the introductions, you could say, look, who's responsible for talent acquisition here? And they'd all point to, you know, Bob or Mary or, or John, et cetera. And then you say, and who's responsible for like training or learning and development? And they'd point over to that person there. And you could say, who's responsible for payroll? And they put there. And I'd say, and who's responsible for onboarding and the, the new highs experience? And you see them all stop for a moment. And they kind of think about it and they look around the room and then usually they'd, they'd after a, a sort of uncomfortable silence, they'd say, the manager. And, um, and I think, unfortunately, that's why in so many companies um, onboarding has been 
unfortunately a mess, you know, and if you think about it, all of this time and effort goes into the the talent attraction process to find that great person. And then they sign the offer letter and they're all excited. And then and then you're leaving the onboarding largely up to the manager. And if they're a good manager, then happy days. But if they're not a good manager, that's when that's when you hear all of the stories of woe about um, the experiences that people have when they join, you know, what's normally a pretty good company. And they could be a good manager, just not great at onboarding. Like, yeah, like, totally. It just might not be their bit. You know, or yeah. they might be too busy. Might be a great, you know, manager or, in their job. Just totally, you know, I can be swamp. a great people manager, and I can know my mm-hmm. job really well. But I may never have hired someone at this company before, That's so right. I just don't know what don't know what to do. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Or I can have the best intentions, but you're right, I'm so busy, That's and right. you kind of sometimes when you, when that really difficult role has been filled then you almost shift your, your focus back to That's your right. existing team and working with that. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, someone's turned up on your door doorstep and it's like, oh my God, they've started and you're just totally unprepared for them. That has happened more than once yeah. <clears throat> to me, uh, especially. Do you, with all the emphasis on experience, uh, EX as, as the, the lingo of the industry, uh, yeah. do, do you see kind of a world where we have kind of a chief EX officer? Someone that kind of goes around and looks at all the different experiences from, from TA, from, from, from uh, you know, if we think of, you know, the, the candidate experience to the employee experience to the alumni experience, should one person own all of those experiences? We, for some companies, we are seeing that. We're actually mm. seeing a, a vice president of employee experience or mm. VP experience. So we are seeing that on, on bigger companies. Um for, for companies that, you know, maybe that they're not of the size where they can justify it, what we're seeing, though, is we're seeing um, the, the experience being woven into almost every project, or at least it's being front of mind when people are thinking about things. So it may be that a project team has been set up to improve the employee experience, and they're just going through looking at, you know, from the candidate experience all the way through to, um, you know, to different aspects of uh, the HR sort of workflow, you know, what can be improved, especially if they're trying to usually often if someone's trying to address a problem like turnovers um, rising and they're losing good talent, then often um, like a tiger team is set up or a project team where it becomes a priority. And then all of a sudden um, that becomes identified as a, as a, an issue and then, um, yeah, usually a project team gets set up to identify it and try to, you know, just fix some low-hanging fruit. So one one last onboarding question because I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the the raise and and things that you you want to do with the with the raise. Mm-hmm. How long <clears throat> with your best customers? How long does onboarding or how long should onboarding last in what you yeah. see with some of your best customers? Yeah. Um, we usually, so we have some best practice workflows that we mm-hmm. kind of push out. And typically we think on onbo- onboarding usually goes for about six months. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's so. If a lot you think of different about, touch points. Yeah. A lot of different touch points, but the, the, the first week it's all about making someone feel welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Really helping them feel welcomed um, in that new organization. Then the first month it's all about. Um, giving them the tools and things to sort of to be ramped up in their role and start getting comfortable in that role. And then by the end of that three-month period, that's really when they should be engaged and attached with the company, you know, with their new company. 
And then it's really just um, after that, it's then just sort of checking in with them and making sure that they're now off on their, their journey well. Love that. Okay, so $32 million, Series B. For the practitioners listening, um, here's here's kind of the interesting thing. When you read the headlines, you read something where, where someone's raised uh, this, this amount of money, you think they have a lot of money. And, uh, and the truth is, when they've raised that money, they've earmarked that money to be spent in different areas. Uh, it's called use of funds, generally yes. speaking. And so when, when, when Brent was doing this raise, there was a PowerPoint deck, no, no, no doubt. And, yeah. uh, and in that PowerPoint deck, probably towards the end, was a use of funds uh, that basically said, okay, we're going to uh, subscribe for $32 million. And then we're, here's what we're going to do with that money. You don't need to get into the, all the bloody details, but how does it impact practitioners when, you know, when a company like yours is already yeah. a great company, gets a little bit of, you know, put some gasoline on the fire yeah. and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a use of funds. It, we don't need to get into the details, but the idea is for the practitioners to understand like, okay, well, yeah. well how does that change things for us? Yeah, um, definitely. So, so, and there's probably two, two main buckets. The main bucket is, um, quite a few of the funds are earmarked for go-to-market. So, you know, increasing our marketing, our visibility, our branding, our, our presence and recognition, and then our sales team to be able to go out there and sell that. So that's a good chunk of that. And so that's really expanding expanding, and and um, dominating the, the, the category that we're in. So really making sure we become the, the leader in our market. Then, then there's uh, another big bucket, which is around R&D. So it's about making the product better or building new products that um, that our customers can use. And so we've got quite a lot of funds there. And then the last part of it is, yeah, making sure that as we grow, um, the, the infrastructure, our internals um, are continuing to sort of scale with us so that we, we can serve our customers really well and, and um, operate the business in a sort of um, efficient manner. I love that. I love that. And I'm sure you, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting is again, I thought you were already best in class in your category. So uh, yeah. it's just now it's expanding that worldwide and, uh, and getting everyone to understand that. Um, yeah. Have you been asked uh, in terms of like, you know, with your current customer set, not even dealing with the, your, your, what, will, what will become your new customers, uh, integrations, you know, the different workflow of where, because again, onboarding kind of crisscrosses HRS, payroll, ATS, you know, a lot of different things all kind of yeah. finished together. Have you already, have you already, have you already been pushed into doing, you know, more integrations? Yeah. So we, we have a whole integrations team and we will continue to, um, integrate into more systems and things like that. So we're, you know, we're just about to announce um, a big one that we've spent a lot of time integrating with, which which is a US focused system, um, and we will continue to invest in those because often customers use this as kind of like the glue. So we will, you know, we we might connect in with an ATS and, and you know, be fed the new employee data. Then we'll interact with the HRIS and we'll push data back to the HRIS. We'll, we might then interact with um, 
you know, workflow systems and provisioning systems so that computers can get ordered. We'll integrate with learning management systems so that we can actually push learning content out as part of the journeys. And we're continuously adding more and more components that we interoperate with just so that we can actually make it easier for, you know, um, HR to use our workflow engine to actually create these very seamless experiences for um, not only new employees, but also their existing managers and other stakeholders. Yeah, you hit on it earlier about data. You know, they mm-hmm. didn't have the infrastructure. Uh, yeah. They couldn't. They couldn't think about experience because the yeah. infrastructure. The you know the the ATS didn't talk to the to the payroll system. Let's just kind of yeah. keep it real simple. Uh, yeah. The two didn't talk. They had to actually manually create. You know, from one record to another, which is was wrought yeah. with with problems. But you're fixing that. Um, Brent, I want to get your take on if we're having this call a year from now. Beginning yeah. at twenty three, let's say, yeah. what's what's what have you looked back? If we're looking backwards, what's people activation? What are some examples of people like you'd like to see this year in people activation? Yeah, um, so so a lot of our customers are using us. They now using us beyond onboarding. So it can right. be about, um, and it's usually around key transitions. So if you think about, yeah, it might be for example, um, okay. So I've transitioned into a company as a new employee, and I'll use Emborder. It might be that um, that I do an internal change. So maybe I'm going from one department to another or one office to another, and we actually manage that transition and internally sort of onboard that employee. It may be that I transition to a new role. Maybe I'm going from an individual contributor. Now I'm becoming a people manager. So how do we actually onboard someone as a people manager? Or it may be that, um, that there's a particular initiative going on. So a lot of our customers used us to actually manage a lot of the transition to remote working programs in their organization. So all of a sudden, we became like a, a bit of a training platform where we were helping to train managers on now how you manage a remote workforce, how you engage a remote workforce, how do you... Um, how do you actually, you know, check the pulse of your remote employees? And we can actually manage the interactions between those stakeholders. We're actually, um, you know, doing some really interesting work with one of our third-party providers where we're actually starting to create sort of content, training content, which goes across multiple providers. And so think about, for example, in the great resignation, a lot of companies are sort of asking the question, how do I retain my employees? Well, one way you retain your employees is by actually having, you know, coaching your managers on how to have those coaching conversations with their staff around their career goals, their career plans and things like that. And so our platform is being used. They're just some of the examples on how um, HR is using our platform to sort of create traction around initiatives that they've struggled with in the past. I love that. It's different <clears throat> it's different inflection points. And yeah. those different yeah. inflection points again you can, there's there's probably thousands of them. Yeah. Uh, you didn't mention outplacement and as an inflection point but you possibly yeah. could help there as well. Yeah. And it's this is a probably a, a question with no great answer to it but you, you you know, people think of you as, as, as the best onboarding, you know, yeah. software in the category, but you're, you're, you're slowly kind of growing. You're never going to forget your roots. Of course, you'll yeah. always be great at onboarding, but you're kind of slightly getting bigger than that category. Yes. And, and that's why, 
That's why had you gone to our website a year ago, it would have right. said onboarder, experience-driven onboarding. Right. Now, if you go to our website, it says people activation platform. So mm. we, we, we are more than onboarding now, and we're, we're really trying to um, show our customers or people that are trying to solve a broader set of problems how our platform, how our workflow engine can be used to create these real experience-driven um, interactions that actually drive change and drive outcomes um, for, for them. So we are beyond onboarding already. I love that. I'm so, so happy about that because, you know, the whole time we're talking about onboarding, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, they're more than onboarding. They've been yeah. more than onboarding for a while. They're more than onboarding. They're, they've, they're already, they're already best in class in there. So, so people activation platform and, and people understand that you, you mentioned it very early on that people can use this with not just the inflection points, but with some bespoke groups. So if, uh, like yeah. you said, diversity and inclusion as an initiative, they can use this uh, there. Give us a couple more examples of, of ways you think that customers in the future, if not currently, can use uh, in border. Okay. So, uh, and so this is probably a bit of a sneak peek into one of the big areas of the new product we're building, but um, I, I like to think about the, the, the big area that I think in board is going to be able to make a big difference is in, is in um, training. And I call it more tribal training or tribal learning. Um, I think a lot of the training programs that are out there today, they're, they're pretty sort of one dimensional. Um, you know, if you're a new employee, you get sit down in front of an LMS and you're going to go through module after module after module. Whereas training, I think if it's done in, in, a, in a, if it's done correctly, it can be about how do you rally the team? If you, I'm joining a sales team, how do I get the team to kind of help me get up to speed? How do I take the burden off the people manager and actually share that burden around so that you're, you're actually increasing the teamwork and the, and the sort of the team bonding, while at the same time making it much more engaging for that new employee. And I think that's one of the areas. You know, I think COVID has has, has um, created an environment where people are looking for greater connections. And I think that we can help with the connections um, while improving business processes at the same time. Drops mic, walks off stage. Brent, first <laughs> of all. Congratulations. Raising $32 million is not easy. A. B. I love it when good things happen to good people. So congratulations. I mean that sincerely from my heart. Thanks, William. And thanks for the time. Really enjoyed yep. chatting to you. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.